I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to this latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me tonight as always is the lovely ren willocks hello and you will have to excuse any residual fan noise you might hear um if you haven't heard there is a heat wave going on on the west coast and oregon got hit by it and it's almost 100 degrees here so yes some of you in the country where that's not remotely hot will be laughing. But, yes. Oh my yeah. God! It's yeah, it, hot. you got to realize that it went from 50 degrees, 50, like high. The high was 60 with rain, and within a day it went to 90. 90 yeah. So it's it's pretty hot here. We're just saying. But um, tonight's episode is very, very, very special. Um, we are dedicating the entire show to one of the legends that we recently lost. Um, it was last week we lost Richard Matheson. And while he was, uh, he was not a young man when he died, um, but it's still a loss and a blow to everyone who loved his work, grew up with his work, and was touched and inspired by it, um, which was basically any and all great writers of science fiction, horror, and fantasy uh, in the last uh, 50 years, including Stephen King. People like that were inspired by Richard Matheson. And uh, we are very sad to hear of his loss, and um, we've been losing too many legends, too many greats in the last few years um, with Ray Harryhausen and with Ray Bradbury and now with Richard Matheson. Um, we're losing all of the greats that gave us what we have today and inspired what we now have. I so it's a very little comfort, but it makes a little bit of sense if you consider that they're all of the baby boom generation or very right. new. Right. And they all actually were very connected and um we'll get to that. Uh oh, but I Oh it it just it's one of those things. They they it's you know, we're we're reaching that age now where um we're losing these great people and even though we've had them for quite a while, it's still a loss. And it's only right to dedicate an entire show to this man because once you realize just how much he did and, and wrote and created and how many decades this went on up until just recently with uh, the film Real Steel was based off of one of his stories, uh, it, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, it, up until two years ago, you had his uh, work being turned into films. The Box, Real Steel, 
I am legend. I, it's it's kind of re- it, it it blows the mind. And so, um, this episode is going to be dedicated to Richard Matheson, and we also will be having two very special guests. Uh, Del Howison of Dark Delicacies will be joining us, as well as Steve as Steve Niles, our um, friend of the show. Um, who, they both were uh, friends of Richard Matheson's and are going to share. Uh, how his life touched theirs and I can't wait to talk to them about this guy because I never got a chance to actually meet him but uh, I tell you what I grew up with his work so um, I am very excited to talk to them about this and I uh, I hope we do right by this man uh, and uh, really an hour is not enough to talk about everything that he did but we're gonna try um, so with that one thing I know, um, we asked our listeners what they would like to have included in this episode, and uh, what one of the things that was requested was uh, the uh, bio uh, that kind of detailed what and who Richard Matheson was, as well as what he did. And I put together one that I'm going to um, share with you. And of course, like I said, I can't cover everything because there's just so much, but I'm going to do my best. So with that, um, this is the story of Richard Matheson. Uh, Richard Matheson was born in 1926 in Allendale, New Jersey. He wrote his first short story, which was published in the local newspaper at the age of eight. Take that. (laughs) Eight years old, his first short story was published in the local newspaper. I was pretty Uh, I think I was in fourth grade, so I'm not quite sure. (laughs) His career really began starting in the early 50s with the success of his short story, Born of Man and Woman. From then on, his fiction was published in various anthologies and magazines. He was part of the brotherhood of great sci-fi and fiction writers at the time, which we just talked about, that were in California, and that included Ray Bradbury, Bill Nolan, Charles Beaumont, and of course, he, he was friends and closely tied to Forrest J. Ackerman and Famous Monsters. He would be well known for his work on The Twilight Zone, where he penned 16 episodes, some of which are the most famous of the series, including Nick of Time and Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, which Ren has a nice little anecdote about. (laughs) That's the one with the gremlin on the wing. Yes, yes. Um, He would also work again with Rod Serling on some episodes of The Night Gallery. His story, Button Button, would be included on the 1980s reboot of The Twilight Zone, and it would also go on to be stretched into a full-length feature called The Box in 2009. So that's uh, how recent his work has been uh, turned into film. Um, But Button Button is one of those great stories where it it sort of inspired so many things, but that classic line of, uh, the story, if you don't know or are not familiar with it, is the story of a couple get, uh, they're given a box with one button on it, and they're told if you press the button, you'll get a million dollars, but if you do this, someone will die once you push the button. You won't know who it is, but someone will die. And of course, as people are wont to do, they push the button. And at the end of the episode, Isn't they're given... I'm sorry? <laughs> Sorry, British pop girls At the at the end of the episode, or at the end of the story, of course, they con- they they're given their million dollars, and the the gentleman that the mysterious gentleman that gave them the box picks it back up and is leaving, and they ask him, "Where are you taking it?" Oh, we're going to give it to someone else, someone you won't even know. Duh, dun, you know, dun, like, dun. 
Yeah, so that is excellent. And that is a, a, a hallmark of Madison's short fiction where there was always a neat little morality twist kind of thing in there. And um, So going on, in the 60s, Madison... I'm sorry? It wasn't Girls Aloud, it was Sugar Babe. Look it up, <laughs> it's a really ridiculous song. It's fun. It's fun. It, in the 60s, Madison would continue writing fiction and also would start writing screenplays for Roger Corman's Poe adaptations um, that starred Vincent Price, which we all love. Um, they included House of Usher, The Pit and the Pendulum, Tales of Terror, and The Raven. So you can thank him for those wonderful bits of dialogue, him and Edgar Allan Poe, he and Edgar Allan Poe, and Vincent Price. Um, he excelled in screenplays for television and terror, though, and would work with Dan Curtis my boy, on some of the scariest television productions ever made, including the two Cold Jack films, The Night Stalker, which turned out to be one of the biggest TV movies of all time, and the follow-up, The Night Strangler, which would then be followed by the TV series. He would also pen Bram Stoker's Dracula for Dan Curtis, which starred Jack Palance as Dracula. Along with these short stories, um, his short stories would be used in Trilogy of Terror, which is one of the scariest damn things ever made with that Zuni fetish doll and Karen Black, who still scares the crap out of me. <laughs> and the other anthology, uh, Dead of Night, which has that wonderful story he penned called Bobby. That is one of the creepiest things ever ever made. Um, he would develop and co-write other another series which was an anthology uh, called Circle of Fear that was very uh, in the vein of like the Twilight Zone and Night Gallery, a standalone episode story that he would write um, every week. Horror wasn't the only genre though that Matheson brought to TV. Um, he would work on Ray Bradbury's The Martian Chronicles writing scripts. The Stranger Within was a TV movie of the week. I believe it had Barbara Eden in it that he would write. Um, he also wrote one of the most classic Star Trek original series episodes, which funnily enough starred William Shatner, who was in the two very, very famous Twilight Zone episodes that he wrote earlier years earlier um this episode was the enemy within where captain kirk is split into two different personalities and it's a one of the good um, kirk and evil kirk yes oh, i'm captain kirk you know that yes thank you shatner forever um madison's short story work was also the basis for one of steven spielberg's earliest films duel starring dennis weaver and that film is a classic and it's loved by a lot of people because it's a, a simple psychological story, very simple, um, of a man taking on this seemingly impossible force in this, in this semi uh, by himself. And it's another one of those stories that was inspired by something that happened to Madison himself which is one of the things he's known for. He, he took a lot of his own experiences and just would put a spin on them that was you know, fantastical or, yeah, and just make it awesome. Mather but Matheson will probably be best known for his novel, I Am Legend, which turned the vampire genre on its head with a story that changed all the rules and, and just took a take of the vampire mythos that had never been seen before and whose main character, which was interestingly enough, um, would become the monster the vampires would fear. He was the legend that the vampires talked about. And that was really, really cool. It's a very downer of an ending kind of story. But at the same time, it's it's brilliant and uh, really, really, really awesome. And has been... Yeah, and it was it's been adapted 
into I don't know how many versions of the story um, but the original was uh, Last Man on Earth and that was uh, uh, Vincent Price mm-hmm. who he would go on to write the Roger Corman films for um, where the darker parts of fiction were showcased in I Am Legend, one of the most loved works of Madison's career was a romance that spawned over years, and that was uh, from a novel entitled Bid Time Return, which was turned into the classic 1980 film Somewhere in Time that starred Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. Um, Christopher Reeve plays the playwright who, and, the actor, and Jane Seymour plays the actress who fall in love in the film. Uh, through time travel, they find one another, and the playwright travels from 1980 to 1910 to find her again after uh, she gives him a pocket watch in present day, and then he sees her picture, and it inspires him to figure out a way to travel back and find her. The film Starcrossed Romance has stayed with fans of that movie to this day. They still travel to the Grand Hotel where the film was shot. They're trying to make a musical based on the movie. And Madison um, actually wrote the screenplay off of his novel for this. And there's some tweaks that he did. But the, the core of the movie is just and the, and the story is just beautiful and brilliant. And uh, it still will wrench your heart out and stomp on it to this day. But it's just so beautifully done and also little fact it is also doug jones favorite film <laughs> just fyi dougie is a romantic at heart um madison's work was perhaps so beloved and so accessible to as many fans as well as inspiring to so many writers because it was very personal he based many of the things he wrote about off of real life incidents that happened to him Um, perhaps the most personal story though that richard madison wrote was the novel what dreams may come which was turned into a film in 1998 starring robert williams Um, the book is a culmination of madison's beliefs and a lifelong interest in the paranormal and metaphysics the story is of a man who's dead and whose wife commits suicide due to his loss which he finds out um, Um, in the afterlife and his subsequent search for her and wanting to save her from her purgatory slash hell that she's in Um, it has many different religions combined within the story that he's kind of taken bits and pieces from and even some Greek mythology um, uh, sort of like Orpheus's search for Eurydice's um, which is very similar Uh, scenes of uh, his life actually uh, in the movie, uh, Chris and Anne, the, the couple in the film, are actually taken from Richard Matheson's own life with his wife, Ruth. So the book is a hopeful one with a love lasting beyond death and lives meant to be together finding one another. It's just really beautiful and uplifting. And it's sweet to know that the book has gone on to be a classic itself and has helped a lot of people overcome a fear of death and dying. That's how powerful this guy was with the written word. And it's it's sort of amazing to, to think of uh, how he sort of wrote with his soul in terms of this story and what he took and what he shared with it. So that's sort of uh, insight into Richard Matheson. And, and it's clear by the fact that we're filming or I guess recording this episode and the sheer number of people online that when he passed that were just heartbroken and and what they were saying of how he inspired them and 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 how much they loved his work that that message from that book isn't lost you know it, it's actually true here because if anything this guy's work is going to live on probably past us probably i know it passed me but just you know the stuff that he did and 
just personally, um, like with the Night Stalker and 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 that and and the Twilight Zone, just these things that I grew up with and and made me love the genre and fantasy and and uh, it, it's just amazing. So. Uh, with his passing, we we may have lost him, but we have his work that has lived on. And also, four out of the four children he's, he he um, fathered, three of them are writers now. <laughs> so, right. yeah, so it's pretty amazing, and uh, it's uh, just a great a great life and a great body of work, and that he left us. So that is. Um, the the short abridged version actually of Richard Matheson's life and the, some of the things that he created um, personally I, I would say just I, I would have to go with you know with the written words you know the books and the short stories that he wrote I would probably have to say just because of the time period I grew up in that his TV um, work probably was uh, one of the driving forces for me that that taught me who he was and and kind of shaped me because I from the age of four or five uh, watched the Night Stalker and loved it and it probably explains so much of my twisted psyche but <laughs> I, I can tell you this um, just anecdotal stuff here with the uh, trilogy of terror I had no idea so I was in the kitchen this is me probably Oh, probably less than 10 years of age, probably nine. This is the twisted family I lived with. Um, my mom and my, my mo mom and my sister were in the living room and they were watching Trilogy of Terror. And I was in the kitchen and I hadn't been watching it. And my, my mother, I think it was, called for me to come in to the <laughs> living room for no reason, just to, just to be an ass. <laughs> and they was like, Jessica, come here, come here. I walk in the room and it, it they had cut away from that damn Zuni fetish doll and so he wasn't on screen yet and I'm just walking into the living room and all of a sudden they cut back to that doll it ain't even moving yet they just mm -hmm. cut back to the doll and I literally jumped three feet in the air and pissed myself Aww. Uh, because that That's thing was best. scary I may not have pissed myself I did <laughs> jump and scream just with one shot of that thing popping up on screen and they laughed their asses off my sister and my mom and after that I couldn't watch that thing I still have issues with that damn movie because it is creepy Karen Black is scary enough but when you give her fangs and shit like that <laughs> it's even worse um so yeah that was one story uh based around Trilogy of Terror Bobby is its own evil thing oh my gosh if you guys haven't seen um you don't even have to watch All of Dead and Night. The, this, the middle one is a really good story. It's, a, it's another vampire one. He did uh, quite a bit of vampire fiction, um, little short stories. Uh, but Bobby is one of the just most... I've talked about it before on the show. It is just creepy. It is not a happy anywhere story. There's no happy. Um, I don't know if I... Ren, if you're familiar with this story at all. Um... But Bobby is the story of a little boy whose mother, um, he's dead. And the mother brings back her child using black magic. Mm -hmm. 
And so, a uh, dark and stormy night, Bobby shows up at her door, covered in water, and mommy, you know, and so she brings him into the house. Well, it's obvious really fast that this kid isn't right in the head, and pretty soon it's mommy and Bobby playing cat and mouse, mm. and um, mommy gets, I think she gets either pushed down the stairs or... Uh, I think it's pushed down the stairs and she lands and, and the whole house is in shadows and mm. it's creepy and um, the little boy that'll, uh, that'll learn you for uh, oh yeah don't magic. yeah don't use the black magic to bring back anything ever right. ever so um, what happens is uh, Bobby is walking down the stairs in shadow and he says uh, you find out uh, the little little boy that is walking down the stairs tells mommy Bobby didn't want to come back so he oh. sent me instead and ah. the light and the lights flash like the lightning flashes and there's this horrible demonic face above her because you're on her point of view and that's the last shot oh my god that sounds fantastic it is awesome and they redid it um, they did Trilogy of Terror 2 uh, I believe it was in the early 90s or actually not early 90s, mid 90s and uh, they renamed it Prey mm-hmm. or actually I'm sorry, they redid Bobby in that episode or that, that trilogy of Terror 2 but they also had Prey which is the return of the Zuni fetish doll and uh, yay, the <laughs> Zuni fetish came back because it loves me um, <laughs> so Anyway, th- those are some a couple of the the real uh, humdingers that he created that I remember, um, and just you know, the, my incredible love of Vincent Price would not be the same without this guy and and what he wrote for Roger Corman as well. So it's it's kind of ridiculous if you go through all these things, and that's just some of it. I mean, he he also um, I believe he wrote. To the Incredible Shrinking Man, yeah. and and just there's so much it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Ren give a couple of anecdotes because I love your story of, of <laughs> I love your 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 gremlin your geek story. your your gremlin story your geek moment that well, he gave you. I you know I, I was I was young and so I didn't really equate. For a long time, I didn't equate the creator with what I was watching, so I saw a lot of his stuff, you know, without paying any attention to who had written it or anything like that. I watched a ton of, I pretty much, I probably saw almost all of the original Twilight Zones when they were still had them on cable all the time, and I watched them over and over and over again, um, and that was definitely some of my favorite stuff. I also watched a lot of the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. I, at a very young age, discovered how much I love Alfred Hitchcock. That was my, that was the extent of my horror fandom as a kid. I never got into the, let's just say I had nicer uh, parents and siblings <laughs> than you. Um, <laughs> That's so hard. Thing, the only thing my, my mom brought me in to watch that I was probably too age inappropriate to see was Blackadder. But, um, oh, that's, that's awesome. Because uh, that just stemmed my undying love of British comedy. So, no, so yeah, I probably saw both of his episodes in the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, um, and then of course the newer oh, and and the the Star Trek episodes, the two two uh, regular tr- or classic Trek episodes that he wrote, mm-hmm. and the newer things that he's that he was involved in that I've seen. Of course, the new I Am Legend um, is fantastic, 
And you forgot to mention the 1971 Omega Man with Charlton Heston. Oh, there's been so many versions so of many. it. Like, <laughs> there was one with, I believe, Mark Descascos as well. And um, that was, it was released, I believe, by Asylum to coincide with the Will Smith version. Right. But, yeah, it's... And, and Real Steel was, was fun. I mean, it was definitely an enjoyable kind of... I don't know if the original, because I don't remember that Twilight Zone episode, was quite so child-geared. They definitely had that one kind of more... Uh, the one with uh, Hugh Jackman was just definitely a little bit more of a younger screenplay. But oh, he was sorry. involved, and, and Spielberg wrote about what a joy it was to have him around, because he's such a big fan. Um, well, so anyway, the, 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 the moment, I guess, that, that... And it's only, I suppose, sort of related to him, but that impressed upon my childhood was... Having seen at a really young age all of the Twilight Zones, I saw Terror at 20,000 Feet, which was the Gremlin episode, and I saw both versions, the original black and white with Shatner, and then when they redid it, I don't remember what the decade was, but when they restarted the Twilight Zone, they did a lot of those classic episodes again with new actors, and they did it again with John Lithgow. So I'd seen both of those, you know, long since past, and then all of a sudden Third Rock from the Sun comes on, which if you... Remember that show? I saw every single episode. I laughed my rear off. That is, like, still one of the funniest shows ever created, ever. So for, like, four seasons or something, they're always talking about the big giant head. They're aliens that are on Earth, and they have every now and then they communicate with their, you know, representative back home, and it's the big giant head. And we've been hearing about it for so long, we're all, like, really going, ah, what is the big giant head? And, and so finally, an episode comes where they're they're getting really nervous because the big giant head is coming to earth and every single you know every single fan of the show is going oh my god who's it gonna be and they go to the airport to pick up the big giant head and who should walk out of the gate back when people could still go to the gate before whatever so (laughs) (laughs) so who should walk out but william frickin shatner and everybody screams, of course, who else would be the big, big giant head, but, you know, other than William Shatner. And, and you know, the, John Lithgow's character comes up and he says, you know, how was your flight? And he pauses and he goes, it, it was okay. I can't quite remember his exact delivery, but he said it was okay. But the strangest thing happened on the flight. It was terrifying. There was a gremlin on the wing. And John Lithgow, you know, the, the way he does, he gets all, you know, his eyes are huge and he's shocked and he goes... The same thing happened to me! <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately die laughing. And I think I was really young still. I'm probably, you know, early teen, preteen or something. I'm cracking up going, oh my god, I get it! And I look around and like my mom and my brother, nothing. Not, you know, doesn't register. And I'm like, ah, ah, but that was, I got it. And it was, it was my first sort of, um, the first time when, as a nerd, you recognize an incredibly obscure, obscure nerdy reference, and you're the only one, and oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> and that was that was uh, that was my moment of just. I mean, I'll always remember that because I laughed like a loon. I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen on television. It probably it still is the funniest thing I've ever seen on television, or at least it made me the la- laugh the most. Because it was That's just hilarious. clever as hell. But yeah, no, that um, all the Twilight Zones I love. I am legend. I, funnily enough, I kind of equated them with zombies. I didn't realize that was so much of a vampire spin. But I really, really want to read the book now. They, they I completely. Read the well, they completely two things. One on this one, they um, in the in the Will Smith version, they kind of 
Well, they didn't really do what they did in the book at all. They completely made them zombie-like, weirdo-like mm. creatures. In the book, it's it's very different. And then, um, also, too, um, our guest Steve Niles actually did the comic book adaptation of his novel. Not the movie, but the, the, novel. the novel. Yeah. So... Uh, if you want to check that out, I would I would highly recommend that because it's beautifully done. Well, I need to add it to my collection. I have a wall that uh, of of sci-fi you know paperbacks that I inherited from my grandpa, and I don't think that's one of them. So I'll have to go get one and stick it on the shelf. That's very good. Um, two things, though. I, I actually, um, there, like I said, there's so much. But um, one thing I, I wanted, actually two things I wanted to point out too, is he worked with Dan Curtis on the movie Scream of the Wolf, which was a um, uh, killer wolf movie slash werewolf film that was done uh, back in the, I believe it was the 70s. Um, another one of those wonderful ABC movies of the week that somehow has been, uh, there's some very ingenious people have added to YouTube. So if you want to go check some of these out, um, go on YouTube. You can find a ton of these ABC movies of the week that um, in, in their entirety which is amazing and they're up there and, and I think Scream of the Wolf is one of them and then uh, I know I saw The Night Stalker and The Night Strangler up there too uh, because you cannot find them on DVD anymore they are out of print um, so that would be I highly, if you've not watched The Night Stalker, if you don't know who Carl Koljak is for the love of God please go go learn yourself something with this because it is <laughs> it is what gave birth to the X-Files if you want, love the X-Files then you owe Richard Matheson and Jeff Rice a debt of gratitude for um, coming together and Dan Curtis as well and coming together and making that movie those two f- movies of the week that inspired the TV series which went on to make you know the X-Files happen Mm-hmm. Um, the other uh, other film that he uh, actually did the screenplay for and was the writer for um, uh, was The Devil Rides Out, which starred Christopher Lee and was a great Hammer film that was released in the, um, I believe, 1968. And uh, that one you need to check out as well. Actually, The Devil Does Ride Out in it. It's really awesome. Uh, it's fun. I love it. Um, so with that, I think we will bring on our first guest, um, Del Howison, who runs the amazing, my, my mecca that someday I will go to in L.A., Dark Delicacies. Um, actually, it's in Burbank, California. And if you don't know what Dark Delicacies is, you really need to look it up so you can cry inside that you're not living inside the store. <laughs> uh, Dark Delicacies is... Um, one of the uh, like the only actual physical store dedicated to horror. That's what they sell. There's nothing else. There's horror books, horror comics, horror collectibles. They have signings there, and um, Dell and his wife Sue um, run this place and have been running it since um, I believe 1995. And uh, it's it's somewhere I need to go to the next time I'm in L.A. I have to figure out a way to get to Dark Delicacies and then live there. That's I was a... really hoping it was desserts. I was really hoping there was... No, desserts. no. But they might sell no, Horror-themed pastry. Horror-themed pastry. But yeah, <laughs> I was wanting to walk in and see some, you know, really intricate cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tell him that. Because... <laughs> 
<laughs> or maybe tell him you need to invest. Yeah. So everybody, I want you to welcome Dale Howison from Dark Delicacies on um, our show for tonight. And uh, he uh, was friends with Richard and he did some signings, I believe, at your um, store. And um, I'd love to ask you, how, when did you first learn about Richard Madison and how much of an influence on your work? Because I know you're also a writer and um, your love of horror. How much of an influence was he on you? Uh, I think I first learned of Richard Matheson through the Twilight Zones. Um, he wrote many of the memorable Twilight Zone adventures, including like the Goblin on the Airplane Wing and different ones that we're well aware of. Um, probably that and uh, the movie Duel that Steven Spielberg uh, directed with Dennis Weaver about the guy being chased by the uh, unknown driver in a uh, truck throughout the yeah. desert of the southwestern United States. Those were probably the first two things I remember uh, that. And as a little kid, we would see older black and white movies on TV. And I remember The Incredible Shrinking Man. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, thinking that was very cool. And then one day I met this guy, and, and he had written all of those things. So that was quite <laughs> amazing. <laughs> So, how was he in person? Because I never got the honor of getting to meet him. Um, how was he to talk to? Was he very, um, was he supportive of young writers and, and people um, that wanted to he pursue was, He was extremely supportive of, of young writers, new writers, any writers. Um, he loved people who used their head. He was a very spiritual man, not a religious man, but a very spiritual man. Um, I think he kind of believed in that that Bill Maher line, something about, um, you know, uh, spirituality is the car and religion is the DMV. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a great line, actually. I like that. (laughs) So he believed in the car and he had his own spirituality and he believed in whatever connected you to whatever for you was that higher power or inner power or... um, you know, whether it was yoga or, or something else. And he was also extremely humorous. We, I used to pick him up, and we would uh, drive him back here to the store so he could do the signing and then take him home afterwards. And he loved Eddie Izzard, for one thing. He thought that was the funniest man on the face of the earth, especially that wrong. first concert that he did, but dressed to kill or whatever it was called. Yes. That is- and... Uh, he hated, he hated, he loved politics, but he hated conservative politics. Mm-hmm. He was a, a very liberal-minded person, and he hated anything that oppressed people. He was a person who was all about um, inclusion instead of seclusion, or instead of exclusion. He was somebody who thought, this is all part of something we're all involved in. And we should all do our damnedest to make it the best we can. That's awesome. And and I, I got that from his work. I mean, with he seemed one of these guys that that just his stories seemed to be about perseverance and the search for truth in a lot of ways. Um, and Very much I, so. And I was talking I, um, before we brought you on. I, I kind of put together a, a, a brief bio. It didn't 
nearly include everything but um, uh, of about Richard Matheson's work and his life and the one thing that really stood out and I'm glad you brought up is the, the spiritual aspect of it was you know the guy he shared everything it seemed like and especially in, in what dreams may come kind of was like the most personal thing I think anybody could have wrote oh yeah that and he wrote that book called The Path which was basically his view of spirituality he wrote Somewhere in Time, which is about as spiritual a love story as you can ever get. Exactly. And and yet at the same time, he loved scaring people. It was almost <laughs> like part of his humor. Uh, you know, he wrote a lot of the scripts for the old uh, AI, the old American international movies that starred Vincent Price and Boris Karloff and Peter Lorre and all those guys at the very end of their career, the Roger Corman movies and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you watch some of those, they're hilarious within their their darkness. And one time I was speaking to him and and asked him what he thought about writing horror, and he said, "I don't know. I've never written horror. I uh-huh. write tales of terror," which to him was different because the dictionary um, definition of horror is repulsion. You're you're horrified by something. Whereas terror, he got to scare you and tickle you with scaring you, you know. Mm. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, and, and he's, you're right. I mean, the the thing, the one that stood out, and we were talking about this as well, was um, what he did with Dan Curtis with those anthology films, like Trilogy of Terror and Dead of Night, are some of the scariest crap ever. But they were TV. So they weren't, that's right. they couldn't be overt, but they were scary as crap. You know, what's really funny is, uh, on the Trilogy of Terror, he only wrote the the last uh, episode. William Nolan, who wrote um, um, Logan's Run, Mm -hmm. wrote the first two episodes. Richard Matheson wrote the episode of the uh, Zuni fetish doll with Karen Black, where she's being chased around the house by this terrifying doll. And when the movie was going to be remade years later for television, William Nolan negotiated where he would write all three of the stories. And so now out of all six stories, you only remember Richard Matheson's one. Nobody remembers <laughs> what the other two stories were in Trilogy there. <laughs> it's true, and that's the, one that, that's the image. Everyone thinks it's just about that doll. And they're kind of like, yeah. what's this trilogy stuff? And yeah, no. and all three of the all three of the episodes starred Karen Black, right? Um, and one of them, I think, she played sisters or something like that. But mm-hmm. nobody remembers what those were. It's that damn Zuni fetish <laughs> doll that scared the hell out of all of us. Yeah. And they made a, a life-size replica of that damn thing too, which I mm-hmm. I would there would be no way I would have that in my house. <laughs> There's no freaking way. Um, but the, the, I was telling Ren because I don't think she has seen it. The the one that stands out, sort of like Trilogy of Terror, is De- in Dead of Night. Is the last he wrote? I believe all three Dead of Night episodes, um, or parts. Right. But the last one, which I believe was, um, I think it was the last one, was Bobby. And I think they added that to Trilogy of Terror too, and redid it with um. Yeah, work- and probably Bill Nolan did that, yeah. You know. Yeah, and, and Lisette Anthony played all th- in e- all three parts in that one, mm-hmm. like kind of like Karen Black did. But Bobby, I I saw that probably way too young, kind of like I did with The Exorcist, and I to this day still remember that damn face at the end. 
and everybody you know, does. <laughs> what's really funny is that I somebody I read something today. Somebody said my mom told me, "Don't watch that; it will give you nightmare." And the person said, as if nightmares are a gift. Here, we'll give you nightmares. You know, <laughs> well, to Richard Matheson, they were a gift. The whole hmm. idea was to stay in your mind and turn like the worm you know, the turn of the screw, and just make it stay there. And your comment is absolutely correct. I think we've all been there of saying we saw something probably way too young, and and it never left us. It just, you know, somebody or some story gave us the gift of nightmares. I like that. That's a great, that's a great line. Um, it, and it's true. I mean, that's, and uh, I would say that that stuff has inspired, you know, inspired me to with the path I'm taking in my life. With like, I, I write. I I love horror films. I write for a horror movie magazine. I do all this stuff, based from those little gifts of nightmares from when I was young. Because I, as you know, as a writer, the best gift we can do is to scare ourselves. Oh, totally. If we can write something creepy that we, you know, if you, if it's always so great when you have that line that you've written or that scene that you've written and the next day you're still thinking about it going god that was great when you're in that zone that's that's what's so awesome and man he was always in the zone i have to say with just the stuff that oh, he i don't know what that is but i'm not answering it <laughs> so <laughs> um but, he was always in the zone and and that's what made him great he never left the zone he had a great sense of humor he had a great spirituality he will be extremely missed. I'm so proud. He actually did the um, um, uh, introduction to my first book, Dark Delicacies. So um, that, that is something I will always truly cherish. And the fact that I got to spend many, many times with him in the car, just the two of us driving for miles, either going to the store or going back to his house, um, just talking about everything uh, under the sun. That's great. That and you're very blessed for that. That's that's amazing. Um, but I, I and just one one thing I had to say. I've been telling Ren about it. It was the fact that he did the Night Stalker is one of the biggest gifts he could have given me because I. I grew up with that. Like, I was a little girl at the age of four or five years old running around with a tape recorder pretending to be on uh, assignment with Carl Koljak at five years old. <laughs> five know. years old! And it was uh, all because of that movie, and then it kept going. <laughs> that's great. That's oh, man. That's great. And then they did a whole series, uh, you know, off of that. But he, I think, only wrote those first two. He wrote that those were first like, two. Um, film for tv they were like hour and a half or whatever right and and the thing with the first one was it still to this day i think holds the record for um viewers for a made for te- television movie it's one of the biggest ones at the time at least that it came out that, which, it wouldn't surprise me and there was another great in there too darren mcgavin who uh, uh you know everybody knows him year after year from christmas story where he's wonderful as the father but you know that was truly a standout role because he was just every man Richard oh, Matheson perfect. always wrote about just the regular guy, and here he was, you know, a down-and-out loser kind of reporter who was just a regular guy trying to bank it. Right, and and he, that's the thing with uh, with Darren McGavin. He was so great in that role, and um, he uh, he just nailed it. 
and 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 like you said with Duel as well, you had Dennis Weaver uh, that just played that role so perfectly, and it was it was the every every regular guy that was caught. Yeah, he's just a salesman and a husband who's out on the road, you know. Yeah. And I thought that was great because he took so much from his own life and spun it into these stories. And mm-hmm. that's why I think they were so, uh, people could, you know, connect to them. And I think that's brilliant. And he brought that creep factor. So that's even better. He, he could creep you out. That's for darn sure. And if people ever get a chance to see, like, Hell House. Uh, oh, yeah. That's another one. Yeah, that's a great film. So that's a. There's there's a body of work. He changed writing. He changed horror. He changed literature forever. And and there's very few people who can say that in their time. And uh, Richard Burton Matheson will will truly truly be missed. But he's made his imprint uh, on writing, and and nobody will ever be the same again. Nope, nope. I was describing to Ren I Am Legend and how it changed vampire fiction so mm-hmm. phenomenally and uh that's one of those things that um it's it really did it changed the game for vampire fiction um he said to just, me one time i wish somebody would make the book the way i wrote it sometime yeah you know, oh. because there's been three versions none of them have been exactly there you know the last being that will smith version but there was charlton heston in the omega man and in the uh, vincent price um spanish italian production made way right. back and and none of them have been quite there, and he was hoping that someone will do that sometime. Uh, I hope they do, because I, the Will Smith one, I, I was pretty disappointed by the fact they sort of zombified them and made them just, it wasn't the book. Yeah. And, and the book is a lot more interesting in how it goes, and, and the fact I'm, that it sort of switches. I'm getting the impression, because like I said, I'm going to go out and pick that up next. I'm getting the impression that the original vampire monsters, they had a lot more uh, mind to them. They had a lot more thinking process. And you said that they be- that he legend became the monster they were afraid of. So that's totally opposite to what I saw in the Will Smith one, because those were just mindless monsters. They were just, you know, frothing, ravaging, uh, writhing things without any thoughts. Am I right in that guess? Well, and the original book is... Um takes place you're with the doctor's thoughts because he's aware of how these things were created in the you know the first place which Ah. you know the creation and the cure has so much to do with him and it's actually an allegory from matheson on you know mankind we we create things like alfred nobel for whom the nobel peace prize is named was the guy who invented dynamite i mean the world is (laughs) full of that kind of dichotomies that are going on and every sword has a double edge to it you know mm-hmm. yeah, exactly that sounds tremendous i really am going to go find that next uh it's it's a well, brilliant it's brilliant. a good read yeah yeah well uh dale i think we've i think we've ran out of time but i want to thank you for joining us on the show i i really um loved hearing hearing from you on this because I know you guys were very good friends and it's just a special thing to have someone that knew him talk to us about him so thank you for joining us he was a treat I'll tell you and thanks for having me on I appreciate it and tell uh, my old friend Steve hello I will and and thank you uh, for someday I'm coming to your store I I need to go to Dark Delicacies before I die (laughs) 
Yeah, well, wait till it cools down a little bit. Oh, I, <laughs> I'm not I'm not leaving my house right now. I just tell you that I'll burst into flame. Well, thank you again, Del, for joining us. That's kind of like me walking into a church. <laughs> the white hair just kind of like raises and everything screams. At first, I look like yeah, that that, cart- that comic book character, you know, just burst into flames. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, thank you again, Dell, and 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 my condolences to you and the family um, of Mr. Matheson because I know you guys, like I said, you guys were close, and we yeah. all uh, uh, we lost a, a great, another great, and it's very sad, but. But we, we got we lost three of them there in a year with Bradbury, Harryhausen, and and Matheson. So. Yeah, and it's it's rough. We we did a. I, I'm doing way too many tribute shows. That's how. Yeah, I'm that's looking. the bad part. Our tribute shows nice, and at the same time, isn't it a damn shame? Yeah, yeah, it is. It sucks. But um, but this, I'm I'm glad we did this. Um, this was definitely worth doing for sure. So All thanks. Right. Well, you, thanks man. for doing it. Thank you. We'll talk at you later. All righty. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And everybody, um, I want to thank Delph Howison for joining us. And um, coming up, we will have Mr. Steve Niles join us, who um, was uh, also friends with Richard Matheson. And he also um, did the adaptation of I Am Legend in comic book form, which you should all go and find. It is in trade paperback. And uh, I believe it's still in print. If not, you can find it on eBay, I'm sure. But um, I want to welcome Steve to the show. He's a friend of the show. We've had him on before, and he's always great to talk to. Everybody, I want you to uh, welcome Steve Niles to the show. And uh, Steve, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. We, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, um, we had Del uh, Housen on earlier, and we discussed uh, Richard Madison's influence on his life and, and being uh, friends with him and, and just how very much of a cool person and amazing talent he was. And I know that you were friends with him as well, and you would worked with him um, uh, specifically, I know, on the I Am Legend adaptation that you did for uh, comics. And, and I, I wanted to talk to you about that and see how it was to adapt something that was such a massive uh, uh, just resurgence in the vampire genre. It changed everything, I feel. Yeah. Well, you know, it's Stephen King is the one who said about Matheson. You know, Matheson was the writer who dragged horror out of the gothic castles and into the suburbs you know and you, you see that perfectly evidenced with uh, i am legend you know for sure and, and he kind of crossed genres with that with it being um science fiction it was horror it was uh, just uh, there was so much there and it was psychological as well and i know he he would say he said numerous times that he didn't really do horror he did thrillers right right yeah, I think, you know, hey, he did horror, but I think he just didn't like the title. <laughs> but, you know, it was really, really amazing because um, Matson just has this whole, you know, I mean, he means so much to me just in that he wrote just about everything I loved as a child, and I didn't know he was the writer till later in life. Um, I really wasn't a reader when I was a little kid I had no interest in Huckleberry Finn or Red Badge of Courage or whatever they were trying to force me to read um, and it was I Am Legend and Matheson that actually got me to read um, and you know it was one of those things too where you know as a little little kid you know 10 11 years old I loved Omega Man I thought it was like the coolest movie 
I had no idea that it came from this book and I was introduced to it and I read it and it just instantly became you know one of the most important books in my life and so when I started doing comics which is I was about 19 20 years old I wrote Matheson a, a, a letter just saying you know uh, Last Man on Earth was pretty close Omega Man really didn't do it you know I really want to do a comic of your book you know that captures the whole thing you know the biggest problem with all these movie adaptations is if you don't do the ending it's not I Am Legend and that's just the end of it Will exactly. Smith should have been called Last Man on Earth and you know and that's it but so you know I sent off this letter to my you know my favorite author in the world thinking you know I didn't even know if it would find him and uh, I got a letter back from him and it was the sweetest letter I ever got in my life I was just a kid and he you know apologized for having to ask me for a hundred dollars for the rights so oh. you know, I know so you know I got it and you know I was just a kid I didn't know what I was doing and you know he was just completely supportive helped me handpick the artist um, never told me what to write or how to write it um, and uh, you know one of the great things that happened you know later in life and just you know Del Howison's the reason I got to meet Richard Matheson I've, I've known Del seems like my whole life um, you know from when I was first starting out and it was Del because of Del's friendship with Richard Matheson uh, Del was kind enough to actually take me to his house one time and as well as set up a signing at Dark Delicacy so I did get a chance to sit and talk to Matheson you know it was it blew me away you know he he confided in me at one point you know which I, I, I take with a grain of salt but he you know told me that um, he had he hadn't reread I Am Legend since the 50s until my comic and uh, I know which just blew me away because you know I know how that is I I'm the last person who's gonna read my stuff um, so just the fact that after all those years he actually got you know read I Am Legend again and and said I did a good job and you know that meant the world to me. Oh yeah. Um, to find out that he's the reason that you we we had the Night Stalker TV film and the Night Strangler as well. Yeah. Were you aware of that until later? It all came later. You know, I that's what's so amazing about Matheson that I you know that I keep telling people is uh, you know I think Chris Ryle from IDW even said to me he's like my mom's a you know her favorite movie in the world is Somewhere in Time. She doesn't even know she's a Matheson fan. And that's how he is. You know, I grew up on Twilight Zone. Um, all the Matheson episodes were my favorites. Um, I, You know, uh, Night Stalker, uh, Incredible Shrinking Man, Last Man on Earth, Omega Man, all these things. I had no idea they all came from the same mind. And, and so much of what I've tried to do with my career is what I saw, what I learned from Matheson and and Serling. You know, I saw these two guys just able to tell stories in all different kinds of formats, all different kinds of genres, um, and you know, it's just so inspiring. Yeah, and then you know, the Dan Curtis. I was just going to say, uh, the day that we found out Matheson died was not a not a very good day around here. But what I did was I went on YouTube and I was watching ABC Movies of the Week, Night Stalker. All these things that Matheson, you know, had done, and I realized I, I, that the soundtracks to those things are—it's comfort music for me. You know, that weird oh, yeah, Dan yeah, Curtis totally. '60s, you know, very strange stuff. And but I found myself 
just listening to the music and feeling myself calm down. But yeah, you know, I, I just can't say enough about Matheson. Obviously, I mean, as a as a creator, you know, he's he's my idol, and you know, as a person, he was just such a nice man. And I, you know, there's not many people you can say that about. I know that um, I, I don't know if you saw that I found on YouTube someone has actually posted uh, Circle of Fear, uh, the series that he helped develop and wrote. Um, oh, I did see you posted that. Yeah, there. Uh, you know, I've never seen that. So yet another one. You know, and that's it's so great with Matt. Yeah, we got another one to add. Yeah, he just pops up all over the place. I was watching um, the Devil uh, Devil Rides Out which, you know, the the, movie, the Hammer movie adaptation of the Dennis Wheatley novel, um, I was watching it because it has, you know, Christopher Lee, and it's from a Dennis Wheatley book. And sure enough, Matheson wrote the screenplay. You know, it's just, it's amazing how much stuff he's done. Well, and the thing that I couldn't get over was, uh, I, I, somewhere in the back of my mind I had to have known, but the yeah. fact that he did all of the Roger Corman Poe films, it's almost mind-boggling because he's touched everything I love and, and the, the body of work I, I did earlier in the show uh, I did a mini bio someone asked can you do like a biography of him can you give us like a, a snapshot and I'm like I can try um, so I put together this list and this bio ended up being like about 10 minutes worth of just listing off of things that he had done throughout his life and I didn't even cover it all yeah you know that's the thing. I mean, just the fact that you were just—you know—you just told me something that he wrote that I wasn't aware of. Um, you know, I suspect I'll be doing this for the rest of my life with Matheson. <laughs> it's a great treasure hunt, though, to to keep finding things and looking for them that he did. Um, and 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 the fact that if you go look at all the TV work, because I, I I was a reader um, growing up, but I I was really a child of television because of the time period I, I grew up in. And it, it was so amazing to me going back and looking at this. It's kind of like Kenneth Johnson in terms of this guy was a building block of my childhood with the Twilight Zone and with the, the Roger Corman flicks because I was a young Vincent Price fan and um, with the Night Stalker for sure. And it's just crazy to look at all this stuff. And, and he was so... Um, to me, and, 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 and you as a, as a creator, I, I, I think part of the reason I was telling Dell was that we, we connected so well with his work because he took regular people and put them in these situations that were supernatural or, or bizarre or extreme, and we were able to connect those characters. He's amazing. And he did that with... It just, it just makes me... Uh, realizes how many um, we've lost like that and, I, and, and guys like you carry this on though. I mean we have people that he's influenced that will carry on this, this ability to, to do these works but man we've lost so many in the last couple of years that's really like with Ray Bradbury and with Ray Harryhausen and now, and, and now Richard. Seems yeah. like we're losing all these guys. I don't like doing all of these tribute shows. <laughs> I hate it. It, it makes um, me crazy, you know, because uh, I, I miss creators like that. You know, it's such a, people are things are so different now. Everybody's like their own brand and out there just constantly selling themselves. And you know, and then you see guys like Matheson who just, you know, he just traveled through life being a writer and wrote, 
you know, books and westerns and TV shows and, you know, God, I mean, you know, it's it's something like, you know, I try to do. I mean, I, I just took on a job today. I'm going to, I can't say who, but it's another writer, a maths and contemporary. Somebody wrote me and was just like, do you want to adapt a couple short stories? I was like, I haven't adapted anything since the 90s, I think, when I did Barker stuff. But I was just like, you know, I haven't done that for a while, so you just want to do it. And uh, I feel like that's how Matheson kind of did things, you know? It was always about the work, which, again, I, I right. feel people lose sight of so much, especially in comics now, you know, it's everybody, you know, it's discouraged if they put out one issue of something and it doesn't sell as a movie, you know? And it's like they lose heart in their project because it's not validated by a big Hollywood sale. Um, and Matheson struck me as just a real journeyman in that, you know, he just, he, the work came first. And then anything else that happened after that was, you know, was, was fine, but that wasn't the focal point. Um, and I, it's an, yet another thing I admire about him. And, and it's true. Um, it seems like no one, everyone wants that instant gratification anymore in, in terms of their work. And with, with Madison, um, it, you can tell by the stuff that keeps being made off of his work that it has a longevity and it doesn't necessarily have to be a massive hit immediately but with like real steel based off of his short story that was a Twilight Zone episode yeah how was that by the way I could never bring myself to see that movie it wasn't that bad <laughs> and I think part of the thing was um, yeah it wasn't that bad but it wasn't as serious as, as the actual a short story they kind of kidified it yeah see it's too bad because the original story what was so great was it was like a you know it's a story we've kind of seen a lot before especially you know in the 30s and 40s how many down and out boxer movies did we see you know in the 50s uh right. you know, it was almost a cliche and he did that it was the down and out fighter but in a science fiction story with robots and that is so hard to do <laughs> you know, and he nailed it perfectly. So when I heard that they were doing the father son, I was like, "Oh well." But again, Matheson it's kind of rockyish. <laughs> yeah, I heard he was very you know he's very polite about that too. It's like these are versions of his stories. He doesn't feel his story. You know, it's that old like James Elroy says it. Stephen King says it. You know, people come up and be like, "Oh my God!" You know, they ruined your book. And every and Matheson was very like-minded like that he's like no the book is right there on the shelf you know you didn't ruin the book you just don't like that particular movie right and and that's kind of interesting with um with somewhere in time because i didn't realize until just recently the differences between his book and the actual film and um i didn't even think about it but he adapted the the screen you know he adapted his own story for that and he made those changes himself yeah which is kind of a neat sort of growing of, of the story. Yeah. Well, that happens. I remember, you know, I'm not proud of it, but, you know, my 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 first drafts of 30 Days a Night screenplay are fucking horrible because I tried to make every producer happy <laughs> and I made all the changes and I can't even look at that thing, you know. And it's just, you know, you know people don't realize, even when you're writing your own stuff in Hollywood, you're lucky if you manage to get any of your story in there. So, you know, I, I think Matheson had a really good attitude about about that stuff. 
you know, um, you know, and he, I remember sitting and talking to him, and he was so funny because I was being pretty mean about the Will Smith movie and made him laugh a few times, which you know, made him really funny. <laughs> but you know, he kept saying, you know, the book still exists, and then he told me something. And I, I backed off the Will Smith movie ever since this. Um, he told me that um, he's never been better taken care of by a studio. That um, they took really good care of him and his family. Um, I think they bought out the Rights Ryan Legend for eternity, which is a shame. But um, he told me that, you know, that Will Smith cover of I Am Legend, the uh, the edition of the novel that came out with the movie? Mm-hmm. Um that's the uh-huh. first time that when that book came out. That's the first time in his career Matheson ever saw a bookstore window filled with his books. Oh my god! So ever since I heard that, I'm like, you know, except I make the, you know, it should have been called Last Man on Earth, and who knows, I may have even been a fan of it. Um, but uh, knowing that they took really good care of him, knowing him that that movie got that novel into the hands of millions of people who may not have read it. Um, I am a little kinder about the movie now, even though it's Attack of the Rubber People. <laughs> it's Attack of the same guy. I think it's the same guy playing every, you know, they just CG him. Just didn't, you know, yeah, 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 we know. Yeah, you know I, just, I wish they'd done the book every time I just say that, you know. And I think that's the thing is, I don't think a Hollywood studio will ever greenlight the ending to I Am Legend because, you know, uh, studio movies are now controlled by marketing. I don't care what anybody says. It's completely controlled by marketing. And a story that basically admits that humans' time has is done is a very brave thing to write. Um, And I can't see them marketing. You know, that will make marketers' heads explode. You know, they can't, uh, you know... You can't have anything but a happy ending, you know. Um, and I guess in some way, you know, I think that the ending Diane Legend, it's it's not happy, but there's a lot of hope. Um, so it's a shame that people can't let go of their own egos long enough to enjoy that ending. Because I think the first person who gets that movie on screen is going to have a hell of a hit on their hands. Oh, yeah. And, and in the time that we're living in now, I think these downer endings or so-called downer endings are a lot more readily accepted uh, even though a lot of people will say I go to the movies to get out of reality but I don't know sometimes that kind of a film will, will hit the nail on the head and, and where you're at in history yeah, kind of well, like right we're, now, just, yeah we're, <laughs> we're going through a very negative time in our lives right now I mean you know comics everything's cynical everything's cynical and serious you know and you know if I'm complaining about it then it's bad um, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I just noticed that a lot. I just like, you know, even that, I mean, I actually have a feeling I'm going to, I haven't seen Superman yet, but everything I've heard about it makes me feel like I'm going to love it. Um, but you know, everybody's just so cynical. About I, I, loved, I loved it. I thought it was great. Honestly, to me, it sounds like they worked out everything that bugged me about Superman, you know? So, cause there was always the problem. I just I still enjoy it. Yeah. Well, we'll see. But, you know, I hear it's very grim, very, you know, because comic books are very serious business now. And uh, like that, just, you know, very cynical, sounds like, very cynical movie. Well, and, and it's, it's a different take for sure. I think they, they kind of, well, I think because of Nolan being involved with it, uh, I think it kind of stayed more grounded in terms of, uh, you can see some spots where he, held, he pulls back 
on the on on Zack Snyder's uh, directing style and kind of you, I, I'm just talking here, but I, you can kind of see it, yeah. and it, it works. It works out. Oh, good. Um, I'll check it out at some point. I I I think uh, I think you'll enjoy it. But Steve, I think I, I've kept you uh, long enough. I think I've, I've ran out of time with you here, and I just wanted to say thank you again for coming on and talking about Richard. I never got the chance to meet him, and it and it, it makes me very sad that I never got to because, like, I, he was a hero to so many writers and and just fans in general because of what he did. Yeah. And I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing because I know I I do know that you've been having a heck of a time and this didn't come at a great time for you either yeah oh it's just yeah i don't know i don't know what's going on lately but yeah you know even with matheson and you know it's like you, you know you know because of their age this is coming but uh it's always it's always hard when it does and you know i'm just so glad i'm just reading you know he had no bit i think in the new york times i'm seeing people talking about him um and that makes it so much better you know because you know in the end you know i just right I, and I, you know that yeah his work's gonna last his work well, and you, you know that he was appreciated yeah and that's really you know that's that's big so it's been a little bittersweet but you know um it's been kind of nice seeing all the love for richard matheson it really has well and it's good to see that people know quality and know talent and 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 appreciate it and and uh I really think he, uh, he, I know that um, Dell uh, and I were talking about this, but he wasn't a religious man, but he was a spiritual man. And I'd like to think that wherever he is right now, he knows that people appreciated and loved him for what he did and, and gave us. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hope you're right. I'm, I'm completely don't believe anything, so... <laughs> So, but I just, you know, that's why I, I, I hope his, uh, I hope his work, you know, I hope his work lasts forever because he deserves it. You know, he really does. He deserves to be read for a long time to come. So, I'm just, you know, that's that's my hope for Mr. Matheson. You know, he he helped me out so much. I mean, I would not be here today without Richard Matheson. I can say that 100% confidence. So, you know, very thankful for that man. Well, Steve, thank you so much, too. We're thankful for having you around, too, because you're one of those guys that are going to continue carrying that torch and talent. So thank you again for coming on. Well, thank you. Well, you guys have a great day, all right? You too. And try to stay cold if you can, because you're, you're, uh, I think you're in one of the hardest, hotter spots in the country right now, too. Yeah, I'm just staying indoors. I'm not going outdoors ever until <laughs> September. <laughs> you know, we tri we hit triple digits in Oregon. It was awesome. It's unreal. It's going to be everywhere. It's just going to get worse and worse every year. So I just assume because we just got to get used to it. So all right. Well, you guys have a great day, and I'll talk to you real soon. Perfect. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye bye.